0: Welcome to the Simply Property Podcast. Okay, so for everybody tuning in, I am joined today by the wonderful Claire Tyler, who is a partner at Rainey Collins, a very well-known Wellington law firm. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: It's okay, Andrew. Nice to be here.
0: So Claire specializes in many, many areas uh, and you can, uh, like you name know, it, she's, she's probably got some knowledge or can put you the right, <laughs> point you in the right direction to find it but um, you can find out more about them at Rainey Collins, R-A-I-N-E-Y Collins, collin nz. and Claire's very experienced and been in this space for a long time but Claire, maybe the best place to start off is, um, could you give us a little bit of background about how you got into the, the, the property legal world and, and what brought you to Rainy Collins?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, when my my father was a property lawyer in Wanganui, so that's probably where it all started years ago. Um, so the interest in law was there. Um, I Actually, Randy Collins was one of my first legal jobs, my real proper legal jobs, I should say. And, yeah, property and commercial just really appealed to me. I like the client-facing aspect. I like being able to um, get a really good outcome for the clients. Um, And I like the varied type of work and type of people that you get when you're doing that um, personal client work, like trusts and wills and property and things. Um, So, yeah, I've been at Rooney Collins for 15 years now and really still really love the work and love the clients and love helping people.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And so the goal of today is to, uh, the premise is, is around this idea of what to expect when you visit a property lawyer and just for giving anyone that's kind of new to the process as a first time buyer or maybe someone that, you know, has bought a home before, but maybe it's not for a few years, uh, what they can expect and and what what they um, should hope to um the kind of benefit they should hope to you know receive from from engaging with a property lawyer, you know what what you what you can do for them because uh, it's such a valuable service. So we're going to talk talk about that, but it's going to be a bit of a wide ranging chat about lots of different aspects of the process. So whether you are a, a first time buyer or someone who's a bit more experienced, or even a you know full blown property investor who's engaging with this stuff all the time, I think it's worth listening to, and you'll get some good information out of this. But maybe a, 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 a decent place to start would be, Claire, what would you say, you know, how how does someone go about finding a good property lawyer in the first place? What should people look for?
1: I think referrals are still quite key in, in this industry. It, it is important um, to, to find someone who has good relationships with others and often, you know, someone like a um, agent or a broker or even a friend family um, they can obviously vouch for someone perhaps a lawyer they've used in a, in the process and that that's still quite um, a common way for for people to find property lawyers and that's sort of pre-vetted already by the time you get to them obviously. Um, in, the, in the absence of that there's also Google reviews and things are a good way to find out you know how people have found lawyers there's definitely people are more and more likely to put those online now so um, I definitely find that's a good way um, to work out a, how, what a professional operates like. Um, there's also the property law section of the Law Society has a specific website that lists lawyers who work in the property area. Um, and as part of that, they have an ability to register as a specialist in the area and the certain um, education that you've had, you have to do on an ongoing basis and things to be accredited member. So I I am one of those, and there there are many lawyers around who are. So it's worthwhile looking at that website and and just seeing that the Law Society also um, recognises that person as a property specialist as well. Um, So those are probably the the key ways to find a good lawyer, Um, Yeah, asking around really whether that be um, online with Google reviews or in person. Mm
0: -hmm. Something that I'm a big fan of as well, Uh, like when you go to your website, there's... Uh, just a plethora of really good content that people can look at. Like, there's some an extensive list of blog articles, and I just I love that as a as an approach. If you can, as a client, go on to the website and get value um, before you even engage, is uh, a really good way to get the client a win, but also for them to understand that you know what you're talking about. So. You know, people should look up the website, see what information is there straight away, especially if you don't know anyone in the area and you're not sure and you're just trying to get a feel for who's out there. One other misconception I'd, I'd mention in this space is that anecdotally, dealing with lots of buyers and sellers over the years, people see a law firm and they see like the terrace address in Wellington and they think, oh gosh, they're going to be super expensive. But I've, I've found that not to be the case so um you know don't be don't be scared off by by any uh by any address being in the center of town it's and this is probably a good point to mention that you guys have actually done uh free seminars for first time buyers in the past and you actually do offer you know initial consultations for people um i believe that's is that is that still running
1: That's right, Andrew, yeah, and we do find that our fees are fairly reasonable compared to others in the market as well, and we do go into things in quite a lot of depth compared to what some others might as well, so it's not always what meets the eye in terms of if you're just asking about a fee, um, you're often not getting the full picture, or perhaps you're not even knowing the right questions to ask about what additional add-ons as such you might have for your file um, that are going to come back later to haunt you if, if the lawyer doesn't ask the right questions, so Um, Yeah, and certainly coming back to your point about the consultations, yeah, we offer, we call them free 20-minute property consultations. So they are meetings with any of our property lawyers or legal executives to look through a particular offer or talk about things that you might um, need to look out for before you even start in the process. So they're open to buyers or sellers and are a good way to just meet the person, um, work out whether you like us. And yeah, from there, we can decide whether you go ahead um, or not so that can be quite a good lead into the process just to work out if it's if we're the right fit um, and even to know what questions to ask going forward.
0: Mm. Yeah just to understand this is going to be my next question so it's a good, good segue into it but um, how would you describe the role of, of a property lawyer uh, in that process? Uh, this is probably something that you talk through in those initial consults with people.
1: Yeah that's right Um, I think it's not something that's widely known, really, as to what we do in the process. Um, It's quite common for people to see others before they see us, so they'll see their broker, their bank, they'll talk to real estate agents and things. So it can be quite confusing for them knowing who the central portal is for their purchase or their sale. Um, But really the lawyer is that central person. Um, They're the one who has contact with all those parties and also can review everything and piece together the pieces of the puzzle. So limb reports, builders reports, title, all all of those things. Um, The lawyer is the one who has oversight of all of that. So, you know, a builder might pick up an issue, for example, um, they won't have seen a limb report though, which is the report from council. Sometimes it's a matter of marrying up the two to work out if there is or is not an issue. So the lawyer acts really as that central portal, that middleman to make sure all the pieces fit together. But also really the one who has the, your interests, whether you're the purchaser or the vendor um, at heart, because the agent, of course, is acting for the vendor, so they've got obligations to the vendor to get the best offer and various other obligations. So if you are a purchaser, then there's lots of things the agent won't be able to, to do for you, whereas your lawyer will be able to do that. Um, so we are really the person that will make sure that your interests are protected throughout the transaction.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's important for people to remember that when you start engaging in a world where uh, everyone gets paid when the sale goes through, it's, you know, it can be really valuable to have someone in your corner or in your team whose uh, who's, who's fee is not reliant on the sale. you know, necessarily like you're someone who um, you, can, you can trust to just give you advice based on their experience. Uh, that, that's impartial to the result of the of the transaction, so to speak. I think that can be so, so important.
1: That's exactly right. And, in fact, sometimes our advice might be that the person shouldn't proceed with a particular purchase um, because, again, we don't have that um, reliance on the deal actually going through or not. We just want to see what's the, the fairest outcome and make sure everyone's, um has as much information as they possibly can before entering into any kind of deal. Hmm.
0: It's in this uh, one term I I'd like to cover off is you often see in the space the word conveyancing thrown around like a conveyancing solicitor and things and just for people who, who have heard that term and don't know what it means could you describe what what what, what we're referring to when we say conveyancing?
1: Mm. It's it's pretty much the legal side of transacting a sale and purchase. So to convey the title from one person to the other, um, and it's probably that idea of conveying the title sounds so simple to people, which which hasn't helped with this idea um, or this question about what lawyers actually do. Um, it's certainly not a matter of just transferring the title, but broadly the idea of conveying the title or conveyancing is that's where it's come from. But it's a whole lot broader than that, um, particularly now with all the tax changes and the complications around who can buy in New Zealand and things. It's quite a different world to what it was even a few years
0: ago. Mm. Yeah, I think that there's still such a misconception that the the property lawyer in the process will sort of look at the title, this kind of one or two-page document, and that's kind of it. But it's so important what you referenced before about you're that person that can that can actually interpret the way different pieces of information interact with each other. So being able to look at the Buddhist report and the LIM report and and look for the gaps or look for look for the right questions to ask. It might just be, um, you know, tying that in with the title as well um with the sale and purchase agreement and and looking at all of that as a whole and that's where that's where the you know the the real value lies to me is is being able to yeah look across all those all those parts and not only that also Mm -hmm. as you as you just mentioned the the tax side and the just the ability to buy in the first place and and the obligations that that come with that so what does like best practice look like when ideally in a perfect world, and it probably doesn't always work like this, but when should a potential buyer or a potential seller start engaging with a lawyer? It's
1: a good question. Um, and sometimes in some circumstances, as you say, people don't have the ability to actually decide because at last minute they decide they're making an offer. And so they have to contact the lawyer there and then. But in an ideal world, we would be contacted before someone makes an offer on any particular property. So that's when ideally some someone would come and see us for one of those free 20-minute consultations. And they don't need to have a particular property in mind. So at least then they can, as I mentioned earlier, they can meet us, They can we can talk through the process of what um, our job entails. They can know things like um, that they'll need to go to the bank to get pre-approval for a particular property. Um, so they'll know that they, they can be doing that alongside you know ordering a limb report or whatever it is Um, and that way they're a little bit more prepared than if they just come to us once they've got a particular property but if it's the case that they haven't um, been able to do that first it might be just that they've suddenly fell in love with a property or something then ideally well in fact yeah it almost would enforce this more strongly than ideally they must come to us before they sign an offer (laughs) whether it's conditional or unconditional Um, you know that it's by law, they don't have to come to us necessarily, but we just see so many situations where people have signed up to things they don't understand um, that it, it really is something that we strongly push for is to to come to us before you sign. Um, and then from there, we can talk you through whether you're going to make an unconditional offer or a conditional offer. Um, sometimes that will depend on the market. Sometimes that will depend on the property. Um, and from there, you know, we can we can advise you as to what clauses to put in. So then once you've signed your agreement, you're not completely stuck with something that you didn't understand. Um, occasionally we do get contacted only once a contract has been signed. <laughs> that's not recommended. But um, for those that are perhaps a little bit more experienced, um, they occasionally that will be okay from our perspective. But usually even then we'd want a little bit of warning that that's coming as well, just to make sure we can actually... Um, we have the capacity to attend to that that particular week or day.
0: The sell and purchase agreements, tender documents and auction agreements, you know, they're getting more and more uh, intense as, as the years go on and and it's very common for you know, small parts to be crossed out, you know, in a clause like halfway through the contract that you might not even notice or look at or realise the value of without having uh, someone who really knows this stuff looking over it. Um, that's just one tiny example. There are there are many. There are disclosure statements and what they mean and how clauses are worded. Um and, and so many parts of it that people should should be should be wary of, you know, signing any anything before checking with a lawyer. What would you say to people who are sort of nervous to pick up the phone and call in that situation before they've signed because they're worried about how much it's gonna cost?
1: Um and that's fair too, because sometimes if purchasers are making multiple offers on things, they, they do want to you know, avoid costs in different ways if they can, if they're paying a builder and a valuer and a lawyer every time, say. Um, I would still encourage them to call. And usually what we can do in that scenario is work through the bits that they really, really need for that particular offer. So, I mean, every time we can provide an estimate anyway of cost, so you'll never oh, be able okay. to be a complete known um, and most law firms will be able to do that but sometimes for a particular property you know we can quickly look at the title um, even on the phone and say oh look there's nothing on there so all we'll be doing is looking at this which will be you know half of the usual fee or whatever it might be so it might be that um, it's not as onerous as, as you think it's going to be or it might be the opposite in that um, you know we might happen to know from our experience that that particular complex is leaky for example and that we can in five minutes, give advice that um, would be, you know, hugely valuable going forward. So, still ask if, if you get the estimate and you don't you don't want to pay it, um, then there are ways to still go forward um, and still you know make a conditional offer, for example, and that way you don't have to pay the fees for review unless you know your offer is accepted. As as I mentioned earlier, and I, I think most in, in this market will know, it does depend on the market, and sometimes you know, an, un- an unconditional offer is all that's going to be accepted rather than conditional. Um, but in some markets, it, you can avoid having to sort of have that upfront review fee if you're happy to put a conditional offer. And sometimes we can quite easily tell you that um, on the phone.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. Uh, it's something I've talked to people a lot about in the past is having a, if, you, if you're if you going on a buying journey, it, it can be smart to have a kind of a set of funds either put into an account or, or sort of mentally set aside. That's kind of like your research money, you know, like your your money that is going to be for limbs, builder supports, um, you know, lawyers, advice, uh, accountants advice, and just expect that you might well miss out on a few properties. And, and But that that fund that you've put aside, that money that you put aside is just your your research amount. You know, if, if, if you buy the first property you offer on, that's great, but it, it might be the fifth or sixth one. So, rather than sort of each time those costs mount up, feeling like you're dipping into your deposit. You know, I think it's important to go into the process thinking that this is going to cost some money. The, the research, uh, the advice is going to, there's going to be an expense to that, but it's absolutely worth paying.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So in terms of, uh, that like, nicely covers off the sort of buyers side of it and how they, how they should best engage. And, and I guess to sum it up, they they can engage with you at any point, but the, but the earlier the better. You can help them at any point, but the earlier the better. What about with uh, sellers? Um, if someone is thinking of selling their property, um, how how are they best to engage with you and when should they start that process?
1: Mm. With It's a similar um, idea to with buyers, really. It, it's as soon as possible. And I think probably sellers are worse at this than buyers, I would say, from my experience in that, it's not unusual for us to just get a sale contract come across our desk or not so much across the desk, in your inbox nowadays. Um, and we'll know nothing about it until it comes through. So it's it's not uncommon for sellers to not take advice before they sign an agreement. And that's, that's really risky. And so we encourage sellers to come to us once they've decided to put the property on the market. Um, before they've signed the agency agreement, though, with the, with the agent, because one of the key things we'll be talking about with them which the agent will also talk them through too, will be disclosures about any issues with the property and works that they've done on the property and those sorts of things. So um, advice about that before you sign the agreement is is crucial because it can sometimes lead to warranties being crossed out and things. So if you can't, as the vendor say that you've complied with the building act every time you've done something to the property, all those kinds of things, then we need to get those crossed out. And so Advice before you go in the market basically or at this sort of at the same time as when you're talking to the real estate agent is is the key time to do that, to engage us. Another point for sellers which is a bit more relevant over the last few years is, is bright line as well. So that's another thing that we talk through with sellers before they get anywhere near signing an agreement is um, just how, how long they've own, owned the property and whether they're going to be able to claim main home exemptions or not for selling it. And sometimes they will be caught by the bright line period, which will mean they might have to pay tax. And therefore, sometimes that might be a, um, a factor for them to take into account as to whether they sell now or sell later so that that's a more recent consideration but certainly something we're doing every time for vendors is searching a historical copy of the title looking at when they bought it and working out if there'll be any tax issues for them from doing that
0: that's so important I, i've seen i saw this many times in my selling career where people uh would maybe just just because you know there's something imagine there's a, an issue with the house you know a, a carport's been tacked on the side without consent and yeah, these these things often don't come up till very late in the process. You know, It comes out when you've been on the market for three weeks and the contracts have been signed and then this is found by looking at the limb and the title and, and understanding what's there. And um, these, what can be not monstrously massive problems can become really big problems if they're left till the last minute. Whereas if you can front foot it and, and discuss it right at the start and make a plan around it. I certainly found in my career that lots of houses have issues, have something, sometimes multiple things. And they're often far less of a problem if they are out in the open from the start and there's a plan around how to manage that. And, you know, and that can come from speaking with your agent about it and speaking with your lawyer about it from my experience. But front pointing it is so the way to go. The buyers, you know, the, the buyers appreciate it. Everybody appreciates it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess I'd say to people just don't be scared of talking about whatever you feel might might be a concern better off better off to bring it out in the open than you know sticking your head in the sand and hoping it's all going to be kind of okay by the time you get to the end of the process
1: definitely and i think buyers are a lot more savvy now about things as well and you know lawyers are giving advice in a lot more depth and essentially keeping your head in the sand and hoping no one will find out about something is is not a solution anymore because almost always they will find out and as you say it will be somewhere it'd probably be on the settlement day or the day before and we'll have to negotiate um retentions of money or whatever it might be whereas you know if, if it had just been out in the open to start with it would have been agreed and cost less, and legal fees and probably cost you know got a better purchase price outcome as well um, so and absolutely just got about it tell you i tell the agent about it it makes it so much easier
0: and buyers understandably get frustrated when they find things out at the last minute when they've already spent hours on it and time and money and whereas if you tell people something right at the start then you give them time to come up with a solution and maybe get quotes and maybe talk to their lawyer and find out you know is this sort of thing common what do i need to do about it how much of a risk is it and yeah it's it can be so much less of a problem if it's if it's discovered early um, and people have time to to consider it when they're not under large amounts of stress uh, and and also as a seller, I think it's you don't want to. You can get very down far down the line of putting in a whole lot of work and paying for marketing and you know putting up with open homes and all this stuff, and then have your contract fall over um, because of something that you know could have potentially been handled from the start as well. So um, better to not waste your own time and like we're talking about, engage with you guys early on to to try and have a strategy around any potential problems before they become problems. Mm. That's right. What, for buyers and sellers, what sort of information, because this has changed over the years too, so if someone hasn't engaged with a lawyer for a while, what sort of information are they going to need to provide, you know, in terms of like AML obligations? And um, I think it can be quite a surprise for people when they come to deal with either a real estate salesperson or a lawyer to, you know, there's a lot of a lot of information you need. Do you want to briefly talk through that just to give, so, just so people have an expectation of, of what they're going to get asked for when they when they come to be a new client
1: yeah absolutely so yeah you've already identified that with AML so anti-money laundering legislation we like agents now have to identify any of our clients who are buying and selling property so one of the things you will be asked for is is ID so that will be either a driver's license or a passport and a proof of your residential address so you'll probably find you you need to provide that for the bank as well so you might you may be well versed in that anyway um, some firms like ours will have an electronic way of doing that too so you can often just do that by your phone and things but um, just be prepared that we will ask for that information it's it's similar information to what we need later to transfer the title anyway um, but we just need it slightly earlier than what we used to Um, We'll also if you have it need to know the property address so we can search the title and make sure that we don't already act for the vendor for example or perhaps we haven't we've acted for the person for the vendor when they bought it previously and so we know things about it for example that might lead to a conflict of interest so um, address of the property ad if you know it the owner's name but if not we can get that Um, later in the process you will need your IRD number we'll need to know that Um, so don't be offended if we ask for that we do need to insert all of that information into a tax statement that you'll sign later in the piece we also need to know that you're eligible to buy property in New Zealand um, that won't be relevant for most New Zealand citizens but if um, you're you're not sure if you're eligible under the overseas investment rules then yeah that's something that we'll be asking about straight away and we might need to see a copy of a visa or, or something like that if you are um, if you have a certain class of visa so um, just be prepared for us to ask questions about that um, sure. It's, yeah, that's probably it. So not not too onerous, and sometimes through the process we can gather some of those bits as we go, like the tax information. We don't you don't have to call us up with all of that ready to go. It's just be aware that we will ask about it at some point. Um, whereas years ago, perhaps for those who haven't bought or sold for quite a long time, um, none of those things were necessary. So it is a bit different to what it used to be in that regard.
0: How do and how do most people work? with your team Uh, do they is it normally done over you know just phone calls or mainly emails or are they meeting with you in person when when the lockdown levels allow
1: yeah it's a mixture really um and we do have quite a few clients who reside overseas too Um, so sometimes it's it's entirely electronic so we're meeting via zoom to sign um, transfer documents and that sort of thing but usually it's majority email and phone call and then one meeting, usually closer to settlement, to sign your mortgage documents and transfer of title. Um, sometimes it's more meetings than that if there's if there's a particular issue with it, but usually that's the, the one time that you need to actually come in to our offices. Otherwise we have, um, obviously everyone now is a lot more used to Zoom, so even when we're not in any kind of lockdown, sometimes people just prefer that option um, for signing documents as well. So that that's always open to people as well.
0: Mm. Cool, 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 This is probably a good point. I, I know at some point we need to talk about buying off the plans, so maybe that's a good point to segue to that too. We, um, For those of you listening before the recording, we we're talking about how, you know, with buying off the plans, it's a particular um uh, part of you know, or, 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 you know, potential journey to, to discuss here because that can be a little bit different. What would you say to that people need to watch out for when they're going into that, that world of buying a new property?
1: Mm, I would just doubly emphasise the need to get the contract reviewed before you sign that sort of agreement. Um, those contracts are generally very lengthy there's lots of clauses that are not standard we need to look at those with a fine tooth comb and work out if there's ways that we can improve your position as against the developer Um, so take advice early would be one probably the key piece of advice also if you're buying off plans speak to the bank as soon as you can as well because a lot of the time they won't like a, a staged payment type arrangement for example where you're not paying the purchase price all at once Um, often they need a code compliance certificate issued before they'll issue your final finance um, in order for you to settle. And sometimes the contracts will try to have you settle before the code compliance certificate is through, for example. So all these little fish hooks um, mean that we need need to look at it prior. Your bank needs to look at the contract prior just so they can confirm that they can definitely lend um, in the timeframe that you you need to. Um, We also tend to advise people at that initial stage about um, the risks with finance if if the build goes longer than expected as well. So quite often you'll only have approval for a certain period of time. Um, And if your circumstances change or are likely to change significantly within that period of time and then the build takes three years, sometimes you won't even be able to get finance to purchase ultimately on the settlement day. So um, those sort of discussions before you sign a contract are even more important when you're buying off plans because there's so many more unknowns um, and there's so many more risks involved and um, so we just need to make sure that you know we protect you as much as possible if you're a purchaser
0: i think it's understanding that yeah the, the the wording too like for instance like the world of sunset clauses you know which when you're a buyer and you know you're looking at a contract for an off-the-plan property and it says you know if we don't end up building it we'll give you your deposit back which for a buyer says okay cool i'm protected i won't lose my deposit but you know, you could also put your deposit down and then 18 months later they decide they're not going to build it, they give you your deposit back. You've just lost 18 months of time of, you know, being able to, you know, your opportunity cost is you weren't able to buy something else all that time. So um, it's a tiny example, but there are so many things in that world where you can get caught if you don't have someone to kind of interpret that information for you.
1: Yeah, they absolutely are. And I think there was a case last year or so with a sunset clause like that where the vendor cancelled it we were allowed to under the sunset clause and refunded the deposit and it turned out it was really just so they could sell all the units for more profit because of the change in the property market that had happened in between and so yeah. often it's just the way that it's it's worded and so where a sunset clause is great in most cases where it kind of gives you a, a benchmark date to work towards and generally you can cancel if things aren't done by then sometimes depending on who has the right to enforce it it can, um, yeah, it can, can create a risk rather than benefit. So people need to be prepared to take advice up front about that and to pay more for that off-plans advice from a lawyer because it is a whole lot more specific and each contract is is different. So you never quite know what's what's hiding in there.
0: Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, under, so, speaking as someone who can understand uh, Who's looked at a lot of those type of contracts and can understand whether that is common kind of standard practice or whether that's really strange is so valuable. And I think it's interesting when I when I look at the world of you know that you guys operate, and that's that's where it seems to me so much of the value resides. It's you know you would see so many brutal sports, so many limb reports, so many titles, um, so many situations that you can then give a buyer or seller perspective and you know help people understand. How bigger? How big an issue is this? And and I guess more so like quantifying the risk, trying to help people understand the the risk involved. Because often with property, it's not very black and white. But if you can, uh, that, that that's where I, I imagine so much of the value lies is being able to help people understand what they're getting themselves into, because you've seen so many circumstances before
1: yeah that's right and sometimes it is a reality check we are the reality check for for the client whether that's we're, way to put it. yeah in a positive way or in a negative way so either we're saying no that's not a big deal that happens all the time we can negotiate that by way of this or if they're trying to gloss over something which also happens from time to time we can we know to really push it for example so yeah absolutely
0: cool 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 um and one we re- mentioned that i'll just touch on for people before we were talking about this before we started recording but uh, you know, in a, in a hot market, everyone puts in offers, or, or, or a lot of multiple people try to put in offers that are unconditional. Whereas, when the market starts to cool down a little bit more, you can start to—you know—you don't have to necessarily fight so hard to make your offer unconditional. And a you know, in a more of a buyer's market, you can put conditions in your offer. You get a little bit more time up your sleeve. You might not be one of twenty offers every time you put a bid in on something. So, um, that's probably a really good place where. They can talk to you guys for advice around like what's normal right now. What's what do I have to do to be competitive in this market? And and that could be hugely valuable.
1: Yeah, that's right. And sometimes what's normal can change within, you say, a fortnightly period. Um, for example, when the tax changes were made earlier this year, the overseas investment changes. Uh, sorry, the bright line changes. That we saw quite a slump after that. Um, in in the heat of the market as I think most people know and after that suddenly conditional offers were were happening again whereas for the year or maybe two prior to that we would have almost laughed as someone suggested making a conditional offer so um yeah certainly that that's something that we can we can help advise on we we can't always advise on realistic expectations with pricing and things but but sometimes we can give broad guidance on that to to help save money for purchases ultimately like if we can see um you know people will sometimes still say i'm going to go in at a real low ball, you know the rv or something on a property that looks perfectly fine you know nothing wrong with it and you know we that's that reality check idea again that you know we we can help you by doing the review if you like but we think it's very unlikely that this is going to be accepted um we do the same sometimes if someone insists on an un- on a conditional offer and listing out a whole lot of conditions that they want, um, you know, we we will often be that reality check and saying, you know, we can do this and we're happy to do this, but we we don't want to take your money for nothing essentially, and that you know it's probably unlikely in this market that it will be accepted, and so sometimes um, that helps guide what they what someone chooses to do.
0: Mm, cool, cool, cool. Um, one last question for you, Claire, before before I let you go. I this is kind of for buyers and and somewhat for real estate salespeople as well. Um, what information? Like, like the more information people can get up front, the better. It has always been my thinking in this space. And and often there's uh, a real lack of, you know, like that, 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 that situation could be a lot better. People could um, provide a lot more information up front to make the process smoother for everybody. Certainly with salespeople, they have to be very careful of they can't interpret titles and things. Um, they're not qualified to do so. But I guess the question is, what information should real estate salespeople be providing ideally, you know, to the buyer in their buyer packs to make things easier? And and asking the same question the other way, what information should buyers be asking for to sort of show what what should be expected in this space, I guess? What's your perfect world in terms of information that's given out to buyers who are interested in properties? Does that make sense?
1: Mm, yeah, it does. Um, I think the title, I mean, the title, there's an obligation to it to provide that to purchases now anyway, whereas they never used to be. So the title itself um, we expect to be provided to, to them. Um, in terms of the the t- explaining the title, you're right, the agent doesn't need to do that. So as far as I would expect the agent to go would be to give the title and if they can see something on it that says um, – Covenant, land covenant or something like that, that they should know that sometimes those can include important restrictions on what you do on the land, for example, and to, to lead someone to their lawyer for that. Um, I would expect a, a properly filled in disclosure document. And I think that's where you, you were saying, you know, sometimes those are lacking. So people, uh, vendors are required to, to fill in quite extensive disclosure documents with the agent, you know, telling them about defects and confirming whether they've got a builder's report and that sort of thing. Um, but quite often, there's not a lot on there and things are discovered later, whether the vendor knew about them or not sometimes um, is, is a factor, obviously. But as much can be disclosed on those forms as possible makes our job a lot easier. We know what to be sing- you know, singling out to perhaps spend a bit more time on. Um, if it's a, a unit title property, then making sure that there's a disclosure, a pre-contract disclosure sta- statement attached to the offer often that is missed or it's not properly signed and that sort of thing. So probably for for a buyer, just being aware that with unit title property, there are additional things that need to be done and need to be disclosed. And so if if the, if the agent perhaps doesn't, doesn't do that or you're unsure as to what should be included and what shouldn't, that's often where we step in. Um, preferably, we'd want to see a LIM report attached as part of the buyer pack too. I think... Sometimes, though, agents are are a bit cautious about providing those now. Um, Same with builder's reports. Builders are often acting for a particular vendor, obviously, so there's issues with a purchaser relying on a a builder's report provided by the vendor. Um, That's always been the case. So, um, you know, sometimes agents will provide them, sometimes they won't. I, I don't think from a legal perspective they they necessary because we usually recommend that our purchasers get their own builder's reports anyway, just because, as I said, the purch- purchaser can't rely on that vendor's report anyway. You never quite know if the vendor was you know, only given a limited scope to the builder and told them not to do any um, weather tightness testing, for example. Um, so you know, for that for that reason, I think builder's reports are not necessarily a necessity, but Limb report Yes, I think that's helpful to provide that up front. Again, though, we would be cautioning our buyers, and I think agents would too, about relying on a vendor's limb report for the same reason. But it does give you that useful background as to knowing, you know, whether there's five outstanding consents or something like that. It really does steer you in a direction of how compliant the house is. Um, and so I, I still think providing those is good. We will give advice about whether the purchaser should obtain more information or a more up-to-date one but it does help to build to build that picture
0: And, and just to know whether you're going to be uh hopefully not wasting your money like with a limb report if it's six months old you you know you'd want to get a new one done but at least if you can see the six month old one and it doesn't have any major issues in it you know you can probably spend that money and and know that you know you're ticking that box to make sure it's still okay but if it's if it's six months old and it's got, like you say, five outstanding consents, you know, it, it, it can uh, help you decide whether you're going to be wasting your time or not. Whether that whether that's going to be a property that's of interest to you, that's, right. uh, that's really good information. That's that's awesome. Is I should ask as well. Though, is there anything that, like, your team come across uh, that we haven't covered that you know is maybe kind of a common question for buyers or something that uh, you know maybe a misconception that's out there. Uh, anything you'd like to cover off while, while you've got this chance to talk to any prospective buyers before they before they get in touch?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably around the, bank, the banks and bank financing, uh, a few things that come up there. One is confusion between the deposit under the agreement and the deposit that the banks talk about in terms of getting ah. you finance. So that's something that comes up time and time again with confusion around no, no, my deposit's just this. Um, particularly when people are using KiwiSaver for their deposit under the agreement, um, wording is all the same, and so it's quite confusing. So just knowing that when the bank talks about a deposit, they're talking about the cash or the equity that you're putting in to the property, not the 10% or 5% or whatever it is that you're putting on the tender document that you're paying to the vendor um, on signing or on unconditional. So the difference between those two deposits Um also, the difference between pre-approval and pre-approval for a particular property, we're talking through that with clients quite a lot. So quite often people will be pre-approved for a certain amount of money um, based on their incomes and you know that will still be current. But it's people needing to know that they need to be approved for that particular property in order for the banks to actually be bound to, to lend to them. So um, for example, a, bu- a bank might have pre-approved for a certain amount, but once they know that the property is a leaky home or something, obviously that increases their risk, and so you need to have pre-approval for that particular um, property. Also, with disclosure of defects to the bank, so as part of the solicitor's process, we um, are acting for the bank essentially when it comes to putting the mortgage on the title to the property, and as part of that, we have to tell the bank that there's nothing that affects the bank's interest to lend. Um, So once we know, or you know, once we know about an issue with a property, uh, depending on the issue, obviously, but something like a missing consent or um, an easement that should be on the title and isn't that might create access to a property, those sorts of things, we're actually obliged to tell the bank about it. So... Um often we're having discussions with people up front as part of confirming their finance or prior to about having to give information to the bank. And often people are hesitant to give information to the bank because they think the bank's going to pull their lending. Um, but it's just been aware that if that happens, we have an obligation to do it. And if, if we can't, then we can't actually settle the transactions. So it's just understanding that the bank is quite a big has a big role in this and that you need to be fully upfront and honest with them as well as the agent and lawyer because otherwise things are going to come back and bite you later basically
0: it's so so valuable and, and such a key thing that yeah I, I come across that all the time that people don't actually realize that yeah you might have pre-approval but you've actually got a it'll still be conditional on the bank approving that particular property you're trying to buy um, and it's worth mentioning that's how for those of you listening who are wondering how it works like that's how so many people are able to offer unconditionally on properties is is they will um, have pre-approval from the bank and then they'll go to try and buy a specific property and they'll ask the bank to actually you know unconditionally approve them for that property and that's how they're able to actually buy without a finance clause if they so wish. But that's definitely something you want to talk through with your property lawyer first before going down that going down that road of course. Um, and such such a good point about you know the the banks are really interested in those disclosure statements and 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 uh, even builders' reports and things sometimes as well. Um, and one thing I'd say on that is that people should keep asking the salesperson if more disclosures have come to light, because you know often those disclosure statements are filled in at the very start of the process, and sometimes there are things about the property that the vendor doesn't even know that come out you know two days before the tender closes. And so if you've picked up your offer form three days earlier, you know, there might be new things that have come to light. So so keep asking that question whether any new disclosures have have come to light um, and, and ask it proactively because in a really hot market, you know, sometimes the agents have got a hundred people visiting a house, sometimes 200, sometimes more. So um, while they should make every effort to contact every interested purchaser with any changes to the situation, like it, 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 it sometimes it can, it can actually be tough if you've got, 20 people interested in a house that are trying to buy it so um so do keep checking that stuff do keep asking the question cool anything else you'd like to add claire anything else you'd like to cover off
1: no i don't think so i think i think we've made most of the key points and a lot of it is just contacting us early telling us about everything that you know about it in terms of disclosures other issues um yeah not being afraid to probably
0: yeah. And I just think understanding the value that you guys can bring to the transaction, like it's so much more than just checking the title for weird easements and covenants. It's, it's, you know, really essentially like a, a a coaching advising role through that whole process and someone that's, that's in your corner, which is super valuable and just this, these momentous transactions that can, can really, um, play such a massive part in people's lives, you know, if you, for the next five, 10, 15 years, this transaction can, you know, can be with you. So um so important to get it right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. And also an area where you're naturally nervous and don't know what's normal and what's not. And and just that, yeah, that interpretation part is is key. So Claire, that's amazing. I think that's a heaps and heaps of good um advice and help for people that are delving into the world of buying or selling a property. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to come and share all that with us.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks.
0: Yeah. What's, the, what's the best way for people to get in touch with your team if they're interested in getting a, you know, a property consult, one of your free consults that you talk about, or, or um, uh, asking you guys to help with a with an upcoming transaction?
1: Yeah, probably the best way is to look on our website and we've got all our LA property lawyers and legal executives are listed there. So you could either go directly to them or we've got um, a contact us um, area of the website in particular around consultations. And so someone will be someone will respond to you usually within an hour or so to confirm if someone can um, help you with a consult. So I'd say the website, otherwise, um, good old phone, <laughs> our, our number's on the website, 473-6850. So if you do need something quickly, then, you know, whereas we've always got plenty of people who can help.
0: Cool. Cool. And for those of you listening, I'll put the website in the show notes, but uh, it's rainycollins, R-A-I-N-E-Y, Collins, R-A-I-N-E-Y Nz. Go and check it out. There's some great info, as I say, on there too. So Claire, keep it the great work. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Cheers.
0: If you own a rental property in the greater Wellington region, then please go and check out simplyrentals.co.nz. It's the website for our very own property management company run by my very own property manager, Lynette Sletcher. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I'm super passionate about letting a professional take care of your of your asset. I think it's really important to make sure that your property is run as good as it can be and that your, your tenants get uh, an exceptional service as well. Lynette, is amazingly hardworking. She's down to earth and she's exceptionally good at what she does. So if you own a property in that Wellington region, anywhere from Otake all the way down to Wellington, all the way out to Masterton, please go and check it out. at simplyrentals.co.nz.